Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Welcome back to Exodus for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics' marvelous mutants week after week through their many monthly titles. Now, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today's episode is full of more of the stuff that you love, like the interview with Kath Loria, where we get to discuss her amazing new Elsa Bloodstone novel, or our coverage of Curse of the Man-Thing, X-Men, featuring Magic and her Dark Riders. But this episode also has a pretty huge announcement. When Exodus for Podcast started in 2018, we had no way of knowing what it was going to become for us and just how exciting this project was going to be. Now that we cover so many issues across the spectrum of the Marvel Universe and we cover sometimes two and three issues an episode, the episodes are getting kind of long and if you're listening for just one thing, it might be difficult to find what you're looking for. So going forward, Exes for Podcast is making the transition to YouTube. We're going to be featuring a new segment every day on YouTube as part of our new initiative, The Daily X. It's all of the same stuff you love here on the podcast but in daily form with a focus on individual issues instead of this sort of bundle packaging that so many of you do love but is not always conducive to getting through the material. So, starting in June, you guys are going to be able to check out a new segment each day on YouTube. Of course, that doesn't mean anything's happening to Exes for Podcast. Exes for Podcast is going to stay host to a best of all of the material on YouTube. So those of you who are going to stick with the podcast, you're not losing out on anything, but feel free to check out that YouTube where you just might find coverage of a new favorite. Now, on to the new material. This show has made no secret of how hardcore we stand Elsa Bloodstone, so it just made sense that when a Bloodstone novel was coming out, we covered it. Here's Nathan with a little bit more. Hey everyone, it's Nathan, and on this next segment, we have an extra special guest with us, Kath Loria, as she talks about her new novel, Elsa Bloodstone Bequests. The Aconite Press prose line from Marvel has shaped up to be an awesome read, and this Elsa Bloodstone book is the book that we didn't know we needed, but we cannot live without now. Join us as Rod, Jonah, and I gush about the amazing places that Kath takes Elsa, the amazing relationship that Kath sets up between Elsa and Mahela, and the surprise villain that is orchestrating it all. We hope you enjoy the experience, just like we enjoyed this book. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for an extra special edition of Exes for Podcast. I am Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram on Dazzler AOA. Hi, and I'm Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. <laughs> and we hope you survive this experience. Right? Like, pretty much... All the all the important people in the book. <laughs> so, today, we have an extra special guest with us, Kath Loria. She's going to be talking about her amazing Aconite book, Elsa Bloodstone Bequest. Welcome to the show. Hi. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We were saying we can't stop gushing over this book, so we are hoping that our listeners will pick it up because it's amazing. Oh my God, Elsa Bloodstone. This is like perfect. I do always like to start by having our listeners get to know you a little bit better. What is your experience with comics going into this? Were you familiar with the characters? Did you have to do a lot of research on them? Did you have a favorite character going in? You know, I read comics a lot when I was in middle school and high school, and I was really into X-Men, Uncanny 
the X-Men, you know, all over the place with the mutants. I didn't know very much about the characters who've been moved into the MCU. I really didn't, I didn't have a clue about most of them. And then I sort of dropped that off when I had to rededicate my money to things like Bill as I got out of college. So it kind of fell off the face of the earth. Relatable. Yeah. Dang. And then randomly, after I started working with Aconite, all of a sudden they're like, hey, check this out. We just got this enormous contract with Marvel. And I was like, shut up. What? How dare you? It was so cool. And then they said, and here are all the people you can write. And none of them were X-Men at that time. I was like, well, okay, I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing about any of these people. I looked through their list and I thought about, you know, who might be, well, there was one X-Man, but but she was just way too cool for me. Way too much back to <laughs> Yeah. It's actually kind of intimidating. Like if you don't have a background in the comic going into it, it's like, oh my God, really? You think you can tackle like Rogue? And the answer was no. I didn't think I could tackle Rogue. So I looked at the other people who were on the list and I was like, nope, 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 nope. Oh my God, who's this? And I saw Elsa Bloodstone. And so I started doing research and was like, are you freaking kidding me? I can do this. It's all the monster hunting goodness I've always wanted. So. I mean, I've been wanting an Elsa book for a long time. I've been wanting an Elsa solo, but a novel is just as good. And I loved every second reading these pages of her. Oh, yeah. As far as almost, I could almost say as long as I've been born, uh, my entire podcasting career almost, I have been banging pots and pans for Elsa to be put into every single book that she can conceivably and tangibly. <laughs> any straw that I can grasp at, it doesn't matter how weak it is, I will find a way to put her in something. And seeing her be able to just get her own book like okay people at marvel are clearly listening to me because they love me and they really want me to stay on board <laughs> honestly yeah the, the, when you agreed to come on i was like i have to get jonah on this because jonah <laughs> is like the number one elsa fan <laughs> she it, and it, it's kind of like just the same reaction you talked about of seeing her and researching into her it's i don't think people realize how cool of a character she is and she just has the sky the sky's the limit with her potential of what you want to do with her and you can have a more serious book or you can have a more fun book that's about fighting monsters there's so much you can do with her and so i am just so like giddy and excited to be able to talk about this because i was in love with this novel and i was like oh my god it's my favorite character and this novel was amazing so it's like they're doing her justice oh, oh you are making my day <laughs> oh huge sigh of relief wiping my forehead thank goodness I started reading her comics to do research, and I was like, oh my god, oh, she could do everything. Oh, she's been here, she's been here, she's been this. And then I was like, okay, where's her solo run? And I looked, and I looked some more, and I went, well, she shows up here, and she shows up here, and she's in everybody else's comic. Like, everybody, where's the love? And I think she could, I think she could shoulder it. I think she could do it. She's so cool. She's got, oh, so much going on. <laughs> I, I think so too. I mean, I've been wanting a. I was just telling Nathan and Jonah before we started recording that I want a 10 issue solo series of her comic just to get more in a depth background like we did in this novel. I'm like, this novel is exactly what I wanted a deeper background on history and just her, her you know, her psyche. It's, it's everything I've been oh, wanting. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. What runs did you focus on the most when you were doing your research of Elsa? Like, I, I know personally, I love like Next Wave is great. Yes, Next Wave is amazing. Yeah. I love the eight yeah. worst parts. Uh, Shut up and Fearless Defender. I love that. So Legion what? of Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yes. Oh yeah, Legion of Monsters was great. And then I really I liked the crackiness of Next Wave. Um, yeah. Which I thought. And I kind of wish I'd started with that one. I went all the way back to her original series oh. to start. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wait a second. She doesn't look like what I'm expecting. She doesn't like, move like what I'm expecting. And then all of that kind of got retconned out later anyway. It's like, what the? Wait a second. That's the funny thing with her. I had to have numerous discussions with the people who work on her as to what is canon and what I can and cannot say about like her early years because nobody actually a hundred percent no I think you handled that very well with her like well I was brainwashed and I don't remember my past so you know I don't know if this is true but I'm gonna go with it anyway <laughs> oh good good that was a weird that was a weird choice yeah it almost felt a little bit like a cheat like I'm just gonna you know people can just accept this or not I'm sorry I can't give you details but <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what's real? Yeah, with also, I think a a lot of characters actually, next wave, who ended up showing in next wave, the next wave sort of reimagined, repersonified those characters going forward. So you've got Elsa, Boom Boom also really took that turn going forward. It was something that was Mm -hmm. totally different. So yeah, they really did some cool stuff with next wave, but it does make canon very, very hard to figure out. Yeah, it's funny coming in to work with somebody else's characters and somebody else's world. I haven't done a lot of IP writing before this. Yeah, and I know you all know what IP is. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you're. Oh. <laughs> <to IP. laughs> I've had people in other like interactions be like, well, "You can't use terms like that. We don't know, but y'all know." It's funny going into somebody else's character and world and trying to figure out what you can toy with and what you can manipulate and what you can write that's new and without screwing up what they've already done. The cool thing about the book series that I can it's been putting out is yes they they do pretty closely go into the Marvel main 616 reality but a lot of times they let you take some flourishes some embellishments with the character to take the characters in a different direction so uh, it's really cool, right. cool to see them take those directions especially someone like Elsa who we really haven't gotten a lot of solo focus on especially in the main okay. universe so I'm, yeah I'm loving it so we talked a little bit about the books you researched I, I just wanted to say the voice you use for Elsa is so incredibly nuanced. <laughs> Obviously she's got the really brass and crass personality that shines through but she's also still got that thoughtful and meticulous planning in every move that she makes. She has a confidence that is well justified in everything she does too because she knows she's taking the time to do her background, do her homework. She knows about all the monsters she's facing. Also, I want to talk the relationship that you created with Mahela is so amazingly complex the way that she protects her sister that's as she mentions is a very uncharacteristic thing for her to do what do you think drew elsa to mahela in a way that she hadn't even been drawn to colin colin's kind of a yeah so colin is (laughs) (laughs) we we could say colin's a dick (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah, you said it, not me, but I agree. He is. And that's the, that's but that's how a lot of people in her life are. They're either really dicks or they're kind of humorous or they're stone cold bastards. And I thought it would be nice to introduce someone who did not have that level of either assholishness or brutal competency like someone who's got an edge because almost everybody in the marvel universe has some kind of edge but without the i could kill you with my pinky kind of flair someone who can be both a little bit vulnerable and promote that vulnerability but who's not a complete basket case at the same time and then throwing in the monster stuff on top of that was just extra fun Yeah, it was a nice little uh, niche that you did with her. I don't want to give anything away, but I did like the subtle surprises that you had in the novel with all the characters. And I feel like it flowed really well. And I, I feel like that really speaks to your writing strength because it, it, you know, a character that you're not known, you don't know that well, and you had and isn't, you know, doesn't have a consistency in their history. But you wrote right. her like you've known her for years and that you've written other stories for her. This was like something that just like blossomed out of an already established story. It was just flowing so well and went to anyone. I feel like anyone, even if they're not in love with Marvel or superheroes or anything, they could read this book and truly enjoy it. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad. That's kind of what I was going for. That's kind of the benefit of going with a lesser known character. You're going to read certain people's novels and you're going to be like, everybody has heard of this person. How are you going to meet all those expectations? And the simple answer is you're not. And that's okay. You don't have to 100% please everybody because you never will. But at the same time with someone like Elsa, it's like, all right, this is, it's practically in some ways a clean slate and you can just go with her. And she's so easy to write. Oh my God. <laughs> like you can tell whenever she's written in a comic, somebody ought to be having fun because she's just so full of personality and she's got her own grawlics to like block out the swears for the readers. And I just love it. I love it. It was so hard not to write more swearing. I had to go back through the manuscript like two times with my editors be like, nope, take that out. Take that out. Cut that. You can't say that. You can't do that. And I'm like, she's not going to express herself. If she can't express herself with these bad words, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I figured it out. <laughs> I love that you say that, like, Elsa is a fun character because that's how I pictured her. That's what originally made me fall in love with her. I was introduced to her through the video game series Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and she was a new character, and I saw her image, and I was like, who is that? I need to know everything about her. I need to read everything. I need all the merchandise I can find. The way that you were able to write her in that very joyous, fun way, I really love that the voice that you did give her because it's a very comforting voice of this is the Elsa I know and it's still very fresh in the approach that you took to give her in the situations that you put her in and how she was going to handle those conflicts I was just gobsmacked oh good oh yay (laughs) I'm glad that worked for you The people who published Black they're over in England, and she is a an, a British character, and I'm here being American. And they're like, hmm. we'll just say it's because she's lived in America for so long that it's not 100% perfect, her Britishisms. So I'm glad, though, that overall, she really came off as it's fun, because that's what I was hoping for. 
<laughs> oh definitely she definitely was a lot of fun i love that you kept her like it, obviously the britishisms like the tea but most importantly for me with elsa was the fashion and that you know she's a badass character but she can still be fashionable and she can still have these the the ongoing of the boots in the story of the high heel <laughs> the high heels the stilettos i just ate that up oh good <laughs> i loved how you described the outfit that she wears as not only just fashion but part like a very deliberate way of dressing to change her silhouette during battle i never really thought about that but that makes a lot of sense actually <laughs> excellent good yeah it's like that's those are the things you tell yourself when you're coming up with explanations for why a monster hunter is wearing stiletto heels <laughs> <laughs> Was it just because someone wanted to draw her that way? Maybe, but we can rationalize it. Right. I'm glad you rationalized it with her fashion choice. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I did love struck me as really real was how very different the relationship between Elsa and her father and Mahela and her father were. Whereas Elsa had the negative experiences, Mahela had more positive experience. Was this an important aspect of process writing this? Was this something that was important to you to explore? It was. I tend to sometimes neglect the internality of characters in favor of battle scenes. I mean, they're super fun and they're exciting to write and I love that kind of action. There's got to be the emotion underpinning it or you're just going to blow things up for a book and then nobody's going to remember what you wrote. And so that was something my editors asked me to push really hard. They're like, why did you choose to make this character her sister? Make it count. Show us what you got. And, And I thought really hard about it and I thought about my own family and we all have different relationships with our parents and it's sort of shocking to me how how different our perceptions of them are especially as we get older so i tried to bring a lot of that into her relationship with her sister that's what really struck me because you don't see a lot of people actually talk about that aspect i know my relationship with my mother is totally different than my sister's relationship with my mother i have a much younger half brother and sister who also have just completely different relationship with her and different upbringing and everything and it's something that I, I just don't see explored as much and I really love the way which with that we did it because it's very real for Elsa to have those experiences and that perception and then Mahela to have just this totally different one so I love that part I love that aspect oh good awesome one of the things that I truly loved and I want to ask you about is all the destinations that you took Elsa on and there's really diverse yeah. destinations as well did you do a lot of research on that because the the details you gave were really specific and I like that. Oh, I got so lucky with that. I was doing all sorts of research about her father, trying to find a new angle for the story to take. Like, it's in canon. He's got those bases all over the world. And I picked the places where he had them, or at least very close to them. And I was like, oh, yes, this is an adventure story. We're going to go everywhere. That was the like the germination point for this whole plot was these far-flung locations and doing some jet setting and getting to experience different locales and different enemies and different friends, all while pursuing the one kind of overarching goal. So I got super lucky with those. I was like, yes, we're going to go to Africa, we're going to go to Antarctica, we're going to go to Russia, we're going to do it all. Nice. Yes, I was not expecting a dinosaur fight in the middle of the book, (laughs) but I was so pleasantly surprised when it came. I was like, yes. (laughs) 
the Savage Land is a very interesting place that characters often get thrown in. And I don't think anybody could ever deny, like, reading about dinosaurs and reading a dinosaur fight isn't a good time. And I challenge anybody <laughs> to prove me wrong on that. Here, here. Yeah, I was kind of boggled. I even got to uh, write that. I was like, oh my God, can I? Can you do that in the Savage Land? Because I hadn't read hardly anything about the Savage Land. And they were like, yeah, you want to write this? And I was like, yes, I'm going to write this. <laughs> oh that was so much fun and also really kind of oddly technical like how do you fight a dinosaur jesus i don't i don't even know that took some real thinking through exactly how you described it i was you know that actually really makes sense so i can tell you put a lot of thought into how to battle a dinosaur and i love it awesome <laughs> Yeah. And another part of the story, when they were with a certain character, they were battling all these, I guess it's not really a spoiler to say chimeras. Did you just, like, I'm going to put these things together and I'm going to see if it's, it, like, if I like it or not, like, kind of process with that. <laughs> okay, wait, I'm sorry, which fight was this? In New York. Oh, the whole dog? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, they were talking about the whole in, in the sewers. In the sewers, yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry, but was oh, the, the sh- oh, those guys. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't want to give too much away for the listeners, but I just wanted to get, like, the process of that. <laughs> I just did a lot of research on like superheroes in New York and kind of the crazy stuff that some of the Marvel Comics characters had gotten up to over the years. And there's also that Elsa run where she's, they're always going into the sewers in New York. This is always happening. And they ran into, oh gosh, what was it? You probably know, Jonah. Some kind of, they were like these creatures, they were breeding down in the sewers. Um, <laughs> And they had to have a big sewer fight. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. That would be amazing. You can't go to New York and not have a sewer fight. So I thought about what would be interesting down there and then just stuck weird things together. That part was not incredibly like well-planned. I was just like, what would I not want to meet in a sewer? <laughs> what would make a sci-fi movie? And then I... You know, anything with a shark. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun chapter to get through because I love the commentary of the characters talking about the ridiculousness of these animal hybrids that don't make sense and that they, they're they not supposed to make sense. The, the creator didn't have that in mind. And it was a really fun idea of what two animals would you likely not combine? And then let's combine them. <laughs> That was fun. That was so freeing. That's one of the really lovely things, actually, about diving into another person's world is that you get an idea for just how absurd it is, especially, oh my God, in the comics, when these characters have been going for decades, it's like, no matter what I think up, something more ridiculous has happened already. So I can make a bee lion or whatever it is I want to make because, you know, worse things have happened. Worse things have happened. Worse things are still going on. The New York sewers are a very popular place. There's a, I'm not sure, I joke about this a little bit, that I'm not sure exactly how they fit everything under the New York sewers, because when you look at it, there's a lot of different groups that like to hang out under there, and you're like, are they neighbors? Like, do they bake each other bread, like, every now and then? One of the questions I wanted to ask was, Elsa being a monster hunter, and I think one of the best things, that's one of the best things about her, is because getting to use monsters in a very fantastical world already is pretty exciting. How did you choose the different monsters that Elsa was going to be fighting? 
fighting or the ones that you described, whether it was the combat, se- uh, the, the training sequence or the ones that they fought in Africa. That was really interesting. I did a little bit of research into that area of Africa to look up some local cryptids and just see like what what do they have. And the Popovawa was one that came up and I thought, oh, this seems doable. And this is unlike something that I'm incorporating at a other point in the book. It's not a dinosaur. It's not sentient radioactive ooze. It's not a bunch of mercenaries. It's unique to the area and it's really interesting and it's got its own kind of badassery. And that's kind of what drew me to it. It would be something a little bit different. I didn't want all of these fights to be the same thing, one right after the other. Something hopefully refreshing for a reader. And based in, I hesitate to call it 100% fact, but at least based in real myth. You know, you kept it realistic enough, but still kind of like far-fetched in fiction, obviously, because it's monsters and heroes. But that kind of brings me to my my last point is like anyone could read the story and not be bogged down by all the like superhero knowledge that they have to have. Like you don't have to have any knowledge of Elsa Bloodstone coming to this book because you feed us all the knowledge. Like you, you educate the reader very well that you don't have to do, you can do other research and you should because this character is amazing. But if you don't want to, if this is all the novel you want to read, then that's fine. That does bring me to my next question. If the company came to you and was like, sold very well, you wrote it, you got so many great reviews, would you want to write a second story based on this one? Like a second continuation? Would you want to do that with Elsa again? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. I'm terrible when it comes to leaving myself potential plot thread. I love to do it. I do it all the time. I do it in all my indie work. With this one, I feel like I tried to wrap it up nice and neat and in a bow. And yet at the same time, left it with, oh, look, I've just put together a potential team. Wouldn't it be exciting if they went out and had more adventures? (laughs) Call me. I can make it happen. Yeah, I'd love the opportunity to do that. That would be amazing. She was so much fun. I know you made it fun for me to read Elsa and I was like going into it. I was, I, I liked Elsa, but you presented an understanding of Elsa that really helps me understand her a lot more as a character. So thank you for that. You know who she is. We've all mentioned her stories jump around from writer to writer. She doesn't have as solid and concrete of a canon history that and you know, none of us really know what's really true and what's not so it really gave us a really good understanding of who Elsa is a, as a character I do have to say I love I love all the different monsters you used throughout when I read that first chapter with the Ratman I was like oh this book is going to be so good <laughs> awesome good I was so spoiled I was so spoiled getting to pick all my own monsters and oh it was just so freeing it was lovely I love writing monster fights urban fantasy is always been a big source of enjoyment for me and this felt like a very urban fantasy kind of heroine which is one of the reasons i wanted to jump on her and make sure that i got to write for her (laughs) one of my questions involves using a character of samantha eden who's a reporter and they needed to get information from her did you know about this character before because she's a very deep cut character who's only ever appeared in seven issues of Rampaging Hulk volumes 1 to 8 in like 1977. I believe we interviewed a comic book writer I think I believe it was Jed McKay who talked about going through like the Marvel wiki of characters and just like scrolling down to like find someone who hasn't been used or like is like a really random character who hasn't like nobody would be touching to be able to put in one of his stories. So is that something that you did? Did you like ask about someone like using a reporter like that? Like how did you come up with using this character? She was 
such a find. I was going, I was doing the wiki thing, just like you were saying. I'm like, okay, I got to sit down and do some serious research here. And I got into Ulysses Bloodstone and all of his various comic runs and all of the people that he interacted with. And I needed someone who knew things, but who also wasn't like a major superhero themselves. And I found Samantha Eden and she just gets these few little mentions. And they're like, oh, she's a plucky reporter character. And I'm like, oh my God, she's a plucky reporter character in the 70s who's kicking people's butts, who's not taking Ulysses Bloodstone's crap. I've got to use her. And so I put her into my synopsis and I just crossed my fingers. I was like, please, please let me have her. I really want to use her. So I got lucky and they were like, sure. Who? Yeah. There's a, a very funny thing I imagine in the Marvel offices of they have so many characters, even if they are a one liner or just mentioned here or there, that I imagine that they're even like, that's a character we have? Huh. Well, okay right? then. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I sent them my synopsis and they wrote me back and they were like, you got to take this part out because this doesn't happen. And I wrote them back feeling incredibly smug. And I was like, actually, in this issue of blank, 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 it does happen. And it just happened 40 years ago. And of course, they don't know about it because it's ancient history. But I had to do that research and I was like, nope, I can do this. It's supported. Uh, I, Give it to me. I love that. I love that. I love that you could be like, nah, I did my research to check it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is amazing. I had footnotes. Oh my God. I had like, I had footnotes. I was like, please, like, I will show you. I will take you to the wiki myself and I will pull up these issues for you and I will show you what I can have. (laughs) That's something talking to all of you different authors about this book line is the involvement the Marvel offices have with the books. I know a lot of times they're like, hey, cool, go ahead and use that. But did you have an easy go with it or did you have a few more instances where you had to like say, hey, no, here, the research says this? There are definitely some places you weren't allowed to tread like people who you might have thought would have fit really really well in this particular circumstance they're like nope x is off doing something else or we don't want them showing their face in this book or can't actually have them for this so work around it and i did and i think if you're not looking for it you wouldn't be able to tell you guys would probably be able to tell as you're going through like oh they utilize so-and-so's equipment very frequently but we never see so-and-so i'm like yeah i know you don't (laughs) I definitely know what you're referring to. And if someone reads the book, they'll, I'm assuming they'll get it too. It's definitely like a weak link. It's like, hey, I wasn't able to use this character, but you know, I'm technically using this character. (laughs) (laughs) I love that workaround that our writers can do. Based on your, all your research, because you did a lot of research on Elsa and, and was looking at all these different characters. And I like how you take this kind of not really unknown character, but not well, well versed character. It's not, she's not like, you know, Captain Marvel or Black Widow or anyone like that is well known. So I really like how you were writing this kind of unknown character. Was there another unknown character you would like to write a novel about and kind of like give them more of a backstory like you did with Elsa? Absolutely. I'm actually pitching someone now who's not an unknown character, but I, but until recently was definitely an underutilized one. And then all of a sudden things picked up and now I'm reading their own latest comic run and I'm like, oh my God, now I want to write this person even more. And so I'm really, really hoping I get permission to do that. I'm drawn to people who are a little bit less in the spotlight, which is probably not a great thing career-wise because there are fewer people who know about them (laughs) from the outset. 
oh, this person's been in a movie. I definitely want to read them. But I like that. I like shining a, like shining a little bit of a light on someone who's just so cool. So cool. And that's what I feel I got to do with Elsa. And that's what I'm hoping I get to do with this next individual. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I, I hope so. I can't wait to read it when you get it. <laughs> I will make sure it happens. Yes. <laughs> And then we'll be like, okay, you're coming back on and talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) The main villain of the book. It was a shock to me, but there were also a lot of well-laid clues that if I had added them together would have led to this character being that main villain. So well, Uh, this character has roots spread out throughout the whole Marvel Universe, having antagonized Spider-Man, the X-Men, Captain Britain, and the Avengers, and various others. Except for one run. I've never seen them presented in such a terrifying and deliberate way. How fun was it for you to orchestrate this character in such a serious way and sort of change the way that we kind of perceive them? It was really fun. As soon as I found that particular character, I was like, oh, wait a second, wait a second. I can totally, this, what a schemer. This is exactly their kind of thing, which probably speaks to me in my weird mind as well. But I was like, no, I can work with this person. Oh, and there was a weird Antarctic connection and there was the, the technology was right where I needed it to be. And I was like, oh, what a goofball. Let's make them extra dangerous and throw them at Elsa Bloodstone. Yes, they were a bit of a surprise to me. I thought I was gonna go a little bit more serious with that. And then I found this person and I was like, nope. <laughs> So you are so strange and you look ridiculous and I'm the most of you. I was going to say I love that. (laughs) Again, not really doing myself any favors because I picked a kind of obscure character. But at the same time, ah, the concept just so self-indulgent and fun and terrifying. Ah. I feel like being like a novelist. Picking an obscure character is, but I think it's the best move. You could do so many things that people haven't done yet or people don't even know about because her history is so flip-floppy. So you could basically just make up anything you kind of want that's still, you know, technically in canon, but you could still make it your own. Right. Yeah. And it was too, it was just too attractive to pass up. And maybe if I had more experience with this particular kind of writing, I might've gone a little bit differently. But as it was, I was just like, nobody's going to tell me no for this, right? Because there's nothing in canon to make this implausible. So I'm going to do it. I'm just going to grab them and stick them in there. (laughs) I'm so glad you did because I absolutely love like pretty much every choice you made in this book. There were some (laughs) that were shocks and some misdirects that I didn't catch and I was like oh that's so clever because when I went back and rethought about it I was like oh you know the clues were all there I just didn't put it together in the right way so I'm like (laughs) oh good I'm glad it didn't feel like it took any insider knowledge to put some of these things together because like you guys mentioned I was trying to make this something that you don't have to have a lot of Elsa Bloodstone background with or Marvel Comics background with to read so and enjoy you did a perfect mix of not being just a pure fun monster hunting book which would have been awesome in its own but you also <laughs> brought in certain elements of the, the normal superhero crew you brought in some fun elements of that uh, so while being fun and unique as like the monster hunting aspect it still was grounded in marvel lore and camp so bravo really good <laughs> really well done on that awesome thank you 
I think you did a beautiful blend of if someone doesn't have a lot of information to go off of, they can enjoy this and learn more about Elsa and the characters that she's interacting with. And it's also that the other part of it is the beautiful blend of these are clues and hints that a more dedicated, more knowledgeable person of someone who knows all about the Marvel lore and canon in the world that they would be able to pick them up and be like, oh, oh my goodness, a really great option for new people to hop on with and for older fans to be like, oh, there's going to have stuff I'm going to enjoy and pick up and be able to like relish in. Yeah, that was a fine kind of line to walk and I was hoping that it would come across. So you obviously having read more of her comics than I have... You know, you could be schooling me right now, and I really appreciate that you're not. No, because I, you know, it's just something that I enjoy. And Elsa's a character who just has a finicky history. We talked a little bit about her original appearance, and it's not, it's not my favorite things we've seen her in and appreciate the love that went into it so like i don't i don't need to be schooling anybody (laughs) unfortunately there's not that much to school on (laughs) i do want to say kind of that it's not really a question but i haven't read any like full-on novels completely in a minute because I've been caught up with work and not in like reading weekly comic books, and that's a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. the first, especially the first chapter of this book, was so just well written. I mean, the whole book was, but the first chapter really hooked me. And I haven't felt like that with a novel in a while. And I just want to tell you that I really appreciate that. It make, and it made me like love like the experience of reading novels again because it was just like so captivating. I was like, ah, this is so good. I got to keep reading. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. I tried. One of the things they, they, what is they? <laughs> One of the things you sort of go into writing adventure stories and action-based stories is you want to grab people as quickly as you can. And it might be considered a bit of a cheat to do that with a fight. But I felt like for Elsa, it was the perfect introduction for her because that's such a big part of her, her character and her competency and also just what she enjoys. So I felt like it was a good, solid creative choice for her to sort of throw her into the middle of things. Definitely, definitely. Uh, something I would love to know, because I, I also, it's been a hot minute since I've read like an actual book that's not a comic book. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the choice of making this a first person narrative really fits well with who Elsa is. But did you toy with the idea of doing something like third person omniscient or some other form of, uh, you know, perspective? I did. I actually wrote the whole first chapter in third person and I read it and I was like, something's not right here. It didn't flow the way I was hoping for it to. I did some more reading in her comics and I went back and read some books that are similar to what I was going for that I really enjoyed. And almost all of them were in first person. Um, They were the comics with Elsa where I really got to go into her head a little bit more. They were a little less removed. I mean, it's a limited perspective, but it's such a fun perspective that you want more of it anyway. And I rewrote the whole thing in first person and I sent it off to my editor and I was like, ta-da, don't kill me. And he was like, we can make this work. So that was fortunate. It worked because it let us see a lot more of her internal dialogue that way. And I absolutely loved getting to know the character more. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there isn't as much internal dialogue with Elsa when they draw on this on the panel. Other times they like to make her have her make some quick quips, obviously right. out there kicking ass. But, you know, we don't get to see a lot of her, what makes her tick and I loved it I love that awesome oh good 
One thing I did notice that seemed to be a pretty common theme throughout the book is that just because somebody is a monster, it doesn't actually make them a monster, and their actions matter a lot more than their circumstances. Was this an important theme to you going into this? It was, especially because of the way that I drew her sister into the plot, but also that was an established theme for Elsa. Like, she's made lots of questionable dating choices, <laughs> and people living in her house who might be considered under other circumstances to, to fit the bill for what she should be out there hunting. But she's always been able to pinpoint the kind of monster she wanted to hunt down and destroy and the kind that was just a person, maybe a person having a bad day. And that's one of the things I really like. If you're first introduced to her, you see her doing her thing in a comic and you're right, there's not a lot of internal dialogue given to her on the page. And it's just like, oh, she is black and white. She is a monster killer. She is destroying all of this stuff. But then you read a little bit more and you go a little bit deeper and you find out, no, there's a there's actually more to it. There's more to it. So that was that was nice to play with. One thing I always like to ask our guests is if somebody fell in love with your writing style here on this book, just anything, just the way you use the characters, the mix of action and adventure, the internal dialogue, what other works of yours would you suggest that they check out to get more of a feel for you? Almost everything else that I write under my other name is queer genre fiction. So I've written other... Ooh, I'm, down. I'm down for queer genre fiction, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's my wheelhouse. That's basically everything I write. It was actually kind of funny writing, you know, somebody who generally presents as straightforward and straight. <laughs> Wait a second. Really? So, um, yeah, so I've got another series with superheroes and supervillains that I put out through a publisher who since became very strange and shady, but they still have my books. So I'm going to talk about them anyway. They're, it's the Penopolis series by Kari Z. Two novellas and a novel, and it follows superheroes and supervillains doing questionable things with corporate backing. And that was my audition for Elsa Bloodstone, in a way, for getting into Aconite in the first place, was showing that I could write this kind of book if they wanted it. And I didn't have any IP experience, and so many of the other authors working for them do. I was like, oh my good God, <laughs> how do I prove it? How do I do it? And I gave them this book, or one of these books, and they were like, yes, we're signing you. So that was great. Oh, and I'm so glad they did. You know, seriously, like this was the book I didn't know I needed, but like I'm so glad we got it. <laughs> no, like legit, I made a Twitter post that said, because I was reading just past stories and Elsa was in one of them. And I was like, I want Elsa to have a book. And I made a post. And I was like, I want Elsa to have a book right now, Marvel. And then Nathan messaged me and he's like, hey, so we're actually going to interview this novelist that's writing Elsa and we're going to do it soon. You can read the book. And I was like, there's a book. So <laughs> I was super excited. <laughs> oh, what perfect timing. Oh, it was her time. Put it out there and you will get it. The universe is funny like that, isn't it? <laughs> right. I, I I personally I have to take responsibility for making that happen. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, 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 see, I was gonna take responsibility because I've been banging pots and pans. I, it's kind of funny because I was talking about earlier, Elsa has been getting a lot more comic on panel appearances, and I was like, This is my doing. Marvel <laughs> listening to me. And Marvel's like, We're gonna make him happy. No no solo book yet. But we're, we're, she, she could be in some pages. <laughs> I Something must have spurred it because honestly, I was genuinely surprised to see her listed as one of the people that we were allowed to choose from and pitch for. I was like, really? A what now? A who? She does what? 
So. I, I do want to give a shout out probably to uh, to Kelly Thompson. I feel like she's really given Elsa a lot of notice too because she was in the Jessica Jones solo and then she was in Deadpool. So I feel like people are like more new comic book readers have seen Elsa Bloodstone because of that. So maybe that contributed to it a little bit more too. And I'm like, yes, good. You know, yeah. make her more things. I loved her appearance in Jessica Jones. Yeah, that was fun. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I will take any crumbs I get. And she's a character that I just love seeing interact with other characters. And we talked about it a little bit before, but I think the Elsa perspective of the world, because of everything that she's gone through and everything that she has experienced, I think it offers this really cool, unique perspective of how she chooses to interact with people. And I love getting to see her interact with other very badass women because oftentimes they're not going to take her shit and they'll often bat with her and go toe to toe with her you know little quips and it's something that's so enjoyable to see so being able to see her kind of be able to like bring that to light in this uh book too was something that was like yes yes more of this <laughs> the team up that you teamed her up with in new york i was like this is amazing and i just i want like a buddy comic between the two of those or yes. like novel between the two of those i mean you see them interact a little but this really helped redefine to me the relationship between those two characters I loved it so much. If I could have written a buddy book, it would have been them. If I could have pitched that and gotten it accepted, oh, all <laughs> oh, the things I could have done. <laughs> next time, next time, Marvel, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> that's that's the third book. I don't know if you would want to ever write comics, but man, go to go to the Marvel comics and pitch that. They'll get no pun. Hopefully, they'll give you like a five issue run. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so much fun! Yeah, yeah. I don't have experience writing comics, but I would be willing to learn. <laughs> I would prostrate myself on the all of education and read all the comics they could throw at me and figure out a way to do this because oh it would be so exciting i mean it's, it's all about formatting right you've already got the voice for the characters down it's just bam just all about the formatting at this point so. exactly exactly can i just quickly say one of my favorite lines it's a very specific line and it's only it's only there once but it's uh, it's Elsa thinking about Cullen and she says if he did bring someone home that he could have babies with I'd be very concerned <laughs> oh, I was like you know what <laughs> you know what that's how like that was one of the lines that I was like oh she really did her research mm-hmm. that was a good line well thank you yes I was looking for crumbs at that point I'm like anything I can put in <laughs> anything, anything that's not straight <laughs> Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the person that I'm looking into with my next pitch is not straight. And I'm like, y'all. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so, Ooh, I'm so excited now. Even more. Even more. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, we're, we're a very uh, LGBTQI plus positive group. I would say 90% of our ninety percent of our hosts are in the LGBT community. So, <laughs> yes, we definitely always support any fully queer projects out there. So, yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Good. I love your podcast. Oh, thank oh. you. Oh. <laughs> what was the one I listened to? I think it was with Carrie. Oh, you listened to that one. I was... Yeah, that was that was my first interview. I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> there was a little Spice Girls mentions in there, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> 
I need more hours in the day to consume more forms of media. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely sold on your podcast. And this has been great, by the way. Y'all have been incredibly nice and have said all sorts of wonderful things that have left me blushing. So thank you. Oh, I, absolutely. And I I, I want to make sure that you know and like our listeners are like this is all like genuine compliments because we did yeah. absolutely love it that much. Like no farce, like all cards on the table. Like I think we all really genuinely loved this and being able to you know talk to you and see how much uh, how much love you put into this for this character and for this story is just like not that we've ever interviewed someone who didn't like their story but it's, it's always just nice mm-hmm. to hear someone so positive yeah oh good good yeah it was such a treat for me it was just oh i got so lucky with this book so i'm glad you all appreciate elsa just as much as i do she's oh she's so great and i tried really hard with this book so i'm glad that you enjoyed it that makes me feel so good Hey everybody, Nico here one more time, and in this next segment, myself, Rod, Raven, and Robbie finish out the coverage of The Curse of the Man-Thing. This miniseries was amazing. It ran this nine-chapter, three-part story covering everybody in the Marvel Universe. You felt like the characters had the right voices, the art was incredible, and we loved it. We hope you guys enjoy. Hello everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcast. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod, the, on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us the Ravenous Raven. Ooh, hello. Hello, darlings. How do you do? It's me, Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Go ahead and type that in. D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. You can find me all over Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Also with us today, we have Robbie. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Hey, everyone. I'm Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris. And with us, we have the cute Nico. Hey, everybody. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, where evidently you can find me being cute. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Ah, and that brings us to the last part of this cute mini event. Well, kind of cute, I guess. <laughs> it's really crazy. Curse of the Man Thing, part three. <laughs> Featuring the X-Men on Krakoa. Uh, the writer is Steve Orlando. Artist is Andrea Picardo. Colorist is Guru EFX. And letterer is VC's Clayton Cowles. Yay. Yay. Now we are starting on chapter seven of this glorious journey. It's Devils in Dark Rooms. Mm-hmm. Now, last time we left Man-Thing, or left the story in general, he is, you know, doing his little dark demon ritual again. And then we see Ileana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic. Mm-hmm. So, And I like how this little mini event kind of just goes right back where we left off. It doesn't just kind of go somewhere else and then go back there. It's like a continuation. So when you get this mm-hmm. in a trade, it's going to be a smooth read. Yeah, definitely. I, I noticed that. I only read this because I loved your guys' coverage of it so much. I was like gonna read it and then I wasn't gonna read it and then <laughs> I was editing your guys' coverage and I was like, nah, I wanna be I wanna read this. I do. This sounds so fun. And I'd forgotten that it was gonna cross multiple titles and I, I tried to mm-hmm. just read this one. I tried to just read this one for this episode. <laughs> and it was issue three, part seven, and Magic was like, You guys remember what just happened? And I was like, I do not. So I went back and I read the other two. And it was a silly, weird, fun romp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, exactly. I would exactly say that. It was fun going with the Avengers and then Spider-Man. And now we have going with the X-Men. I mean, X-Men should be last or the better of the, of the three. Let's... 
true. And alphabetically, if nothing else, it went Avengers, Spider-Man, X-Men, which I appreciate for my mm-hmm. spreadsheets when I'm like li- listing things out. Just saying. I just noticed that. <laughs> That's a good call. Good job, Marvel, on all sides. Honestly, I, I, I thought this was going to be a new mutant tie-in because of who they brought in because they brought in magic and her dark riders so i was like aren't those all new mutant people i'm not mad i mean if they want to do another crossover that then also ties into new mutants i'm totally cool with that like what but still i loved this issue so good I was fascinated by the use of X-Men to refer to the line of product as opposed to an individual set of characters, because in many ways, I do think Magic's name bears a fruitful caveat. When you hear Magic is on something, it's not just an X-Men, it's kind of, in many ways, the most significant push they've put behind a character since perhaps Deadpool. I think Magic has stumbled onto something that we saw them try to capture with Laura, who is perfect, so it's not like anybody's saying, shut up, Laura! But, you know, I do understand that she she did not capture the cultural zeitgeist in perhaps the way that I was hoping. I don't have a thousand Laura t-shirts, as many Deadpool t-shirts as I have, right? So I feel like I really would have liked if it was like Magic and her Dark Riders on the cover a little bit more than X-Men. I do know that introducing the Dark Riders made it. Good for Forearm, having a purpose. Yay! His name is a, his name is a very obvious pun, right? Like, Oh, it's very obvious. If his name was Three Arm, we'd all be like, Ugh. if his name was oh, like yeah. Six Skin, we'd be like, Ugh, right? Right? But like oh, his no. name is Forearm. Yeah, I mean, I like that they go. Well, I mean, we haven't really got to him yet, but at least on the cover, they go with his classic look of the forearmness. I mean, I did like the way he looked in a recent <laughs> in the recent sword issue. He looked very daddy, very like you know, daddy that has money, but also forearms, but also like a bouncer. Um, <laughs> this one he looks like a wrestler. He's got arms. <laughs> this one is very more. He looks younger. He's shaved. He looks like a wrestler. He's about to throw down. Oh my uh, God. He makes it rain. It's actually dangerous. Oh, man. <laughs> make it rain. Make it hail. Whatever you want to do. Arms. Uh, four times as much deodorant, hopefully. Oh, I would hope so. I mean, he's a dark rider, though. Do you think they really care about deodorant? I mean, they're all like... <sighs> Robbie, evil mutant hygiene, what do you think? Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) You know, it depends. I think it depends. Like, I think there are some mutants who try. But you also, okay, you got to think. Like, if they're in a different dimension, what if they run out? Like, what if these Dark Riders run out? I think all dimensions have a sense of smell. You should just carry it on your bag you know oh, just geez, like, yeah. i don't I think it have. exists in like the negative zone i don't okay. know what does it I, i'm i'm kind of with robbie <laughs> on this hold up like the lotus vial from those issues of hellions that were super spectacular mm-hmm. uh from the ten of swords crossover you had the lotus vial who i became obsessed with in an instant and i think they're rank like oh yes you smell of corpse you must be very famous like i mean like i imagine they think bad smells bad smells am good bizarro like you know what i mean like there are probably some dimensions where they're like forearm you've never used deodorant you're our king now i mean and then also you got to think about certain characters like they probably need like stronger deodorant like for example (laughs) star girl Probably, like Shark Girl, probably needs like oh, talk about no, smelling like fish waterproof mammal max. He's a fucking elephant. Mammal max is sacred. And he vomits stomach acid. So hot. Uh, I'm just like I'm not into the Roman showers. Sorry. Get it. Get it. Big <laughs> fuck. Get it. 
<laughs> so we go on from magic theme <laughs> song. Oh, man thing shit. We go back from <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here like I wonder what other mutants have like gross body odor problems. I cannot imagine what the fuck was going on with Black Tom Cassidy during that tree phase. Oh, oh no. Uh-uh. Like did he just smell like maple syrup all the fucking time? Oh, but that's a, right? that's a good smell. Right? He smells like maple syrup. Great. If he smells like durian on the other hand, ooh, not so much. You just every no. time you go up to him and you're like, "Why do you smell like that tura? I'm hallucinating now." Oh no. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun, though. I mean, if you're after Koa, you're partying anyway. So and then if you die from it, you get reborn. So it's fine. A dozen people all lining up to smoke the shit out of Black Tom's ass. I completely <laughs> I died with him in me. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> your lungs? <laughs> that's an experience. That's a maybe very that's... different black lung. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe that's why Juggernaut wants to come back to Koa. He missed Black Tom inside of him. Um, anyway, so we're going to move on to Horror going. <laughs> she can't get through the gateway that her two other anti-people went through. And oh, poor she gets denied so much. She is so hurt. That poor white girl with magic can't do exactly what she wants, but she starts, you know, shaming the old people again, and it's fine. I swear <laughs> to God, if this was not social commentary on white female fragility and crying over absolutely nothing when a minor inconvenience is put in your way, I don't know what is. Well, and there's a math to it, you know what I mean? And this was something that I was trying to explain to a friend recently, like harmlessly, because I, you know, we all have that friend that's like, no, I'm, I'm awoken, and I'm like, okay, have a good day. But oh. you know, they, they were trying to be like, you know, I can't figure out why it is that like everybody says white guys are the most resistant to change. Well, here's what it is: white men, tradition, white straight men traditionally had everything, and mm-hmm. so when somebody else gets an opportunity, it pretty much has to come from their pocket. But that's what you get for hoarding all the opportunity now you have to share it equally it is not something being taken from straight white men but rather something being restored in balance to other groups and i think when traditionally we're going to go with white women of power right now in the real world it might be wealth or it might be social significance through influence that kind of thing but white women of power, um, you know, white turfs are the problem, right? So we have this sort of opportunity to take a look at a representation on this, you know, grandiose scale. Because we're, we're looking at a book where there's a lot of minorities in a very direct way. We're looking at a book where there's a lot of street level characters in a very direct way. And the crux of it is that our hero ultimately made a deal with the devil. Our straight, laced, proper white guy made a deal with the devil. And we've always seen a man thing as this access to power that's a curse but it's actually a punishment not a curse and here they're given an opportunity to set that right by not flipping that script initially he is not the victim of something but rather the arbiter of his own incident and mm-hmm. by putting that onus on her from day one i feel as though they were able to make a commentary that it's completely fine to be a straight white male hero there's nothing wrong with being a white woman of power that is a hero or a villain or whatever but there is something wrong with narrative storytelling that plays 
places the prejudice against characters that represent minorities and a lack of repercussions for white, straight, cis, heteronormative characters. See, I just saw it as a white woman who wanted to get into some closed practices and got told no and therefore wanted to bitch and whine about it. Okay, that was definitely my white read on it and yours is better. I like yours. Absolutely fit. That's the both whole thing. Are valid. Yeah, both are valid. Both are actually absolutely correct. Which brings you even to the next point is when we even go back to the Avengers, most of the heroes are white and, and male. But fortunately, I mean, we still do get three black men as on the cover of seeing, you know, the when you go to Brooklyn, Sydney, Manhattan, and London, we still get some people of color on here, which is a nice little change. I mean, they're men. They're not women or non-baron or anything like that. But we're moving, I feel like, in the little bit of another direction because we get Miles here. We get Blade here, which are usually not here. We usually mm-hmm. only get, you know, Iron Man, Black Panther. Ca- black Panther Captain America and Thor, maybe Spider-Man, that's about it, you know? I just noticed that, um, I know this is jumping ahead just to touch, but uh, in that Brooklyn to Manhattan scene, in Brooklyn you see uh, She-Hulk, or Hulk I should say, just jumping off into the distance, and in Manhattan you see her landing. Yeah, that was a nice Oh, damn, I didn't even notice that. I was like, oh, that's how she got across town. That makes way more sense. (laughs) That's a big shot. I don't understand how I didn't, like, put those two together i'm like how does she keep hopping between oh she's literally hopping between these two places duh i'm That's pretty orlando's bread and butter he loves like little moments of synchronicity like that mm-hmm. he he's just such a small touch writer you know like talking about this book i'm i was really excited for steve orlando to come to marvel because he's very cohesive in his writing and he likes to put these like pinpoints together or this flowiness together because as you can see i mean this three issue event really mm-hmm. flowed together like i'm saying before and oh, it's yeah. really cohesive and it gets all the characters voices correctly even if they say like two lines like that's that character you know that that character you see that line be like oh that's probably you know miles or somebody like that like i love when mm-hmm. writers get that because it is hard to get all these people to together like there's a lot yeah. of fucking characters in this story especially this one because then with the next few pages we go to Krakoa and that's all mm-hmm. the quiet council is huge personalities that take a while to get known for who they are and if you don't get it right expert is going to come for you so oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I do like how many characters they've had, and yet they've still been able to keep the tone of each character pretty well within that character's normal range. So you, you're you not going like, mm, that really doesn't sound like... Like, every single character is like, oh, no, damn, the, nope, that that's good. And they're even able to switch between uh, different things like the Avengers and Krakoa and whatnot, and it still feels like they got... Uh, the essence of the characters correct, which is lovely. I agree with that because um, especially with like the Avengers, like even though they were more of a focus in the first issue, we got little glimpses in the second and now in this one. Mm -hmm. And I like how it's not really a type of thing where it's like, oh, we saw them for like a minute and we're just going to assume that they're up to something. And but but what I like is that they're not doing or that's not happening and we're able to see once in a while references of them or not references y'all get what i mean yeah. <laughs> little, little snippets of what they're still doing that was the word i was looking for <laughs> and i think the thing that's so important to remember is like my thor is not your thor your thor is not my thor 
and my Iron Man is not your Iron Man, and your Iron Man is not my Iron Man. We all have versions of these characters we love a little bit more. My favorite Thor kind of makes fun of himself a little bit. Like, (laughs) if he doesn't say things like, and by the hammer, I mean my penis. It's not my Thor, you know what I mean? And when you're talking about a character like Exodus, there's really Mm -hmm. just crazy zealot and there's not a whole lot of other character to him but Mm -hmm. when you're talking about magic i bet the four of us each have a different version of iliana that means the most to us and he managed to play that sort of general voice that was still specific enough and it, like, I kind of hope he gets an X book now, you know, I, not that I don't hope he gets a man thing book, but I don't think I need a man thing book the way oh, you'd be amazed what you need in a man thing book. <laughs> I just made a very sassy face for you. <laughs> I think I would be really excited to see Steve Orlando tackle some of the, and I mean this with love, dumber mutants, like that way that Gail Simone came on one day and said, I'm going to make Catman cool. Yeah, right? I would That's- really love that concept of him yes. doing that. That would work really well. Exactly. He's got the yeah. voice for it. He's got the attitude for it. It would be a little bit of character rehab, a little bit of humorous redemption. And if I know my Steve Orlando, lots of butts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm so okay with that. And that's a good idea because for him taking over like a more obscure or like, yeah, Steve Orlando would be really good at taking obscure X-Men characters and getting people to really fall in love with them. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, I really did not read a damn thing with Man-Thing before this. And mm-hmm. now I really adore the character. Like, before, I just assumed that he was some character that just swam around in a swamp like an alligator. You're not the- wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love Alligator Man. <laughs> Transdimensional swamp loser. <laughs> 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 my god you've killed me okay but now alligator I feel man like the reading this is the best hero ever <laughs> oh but god. now reading this i see him more as a character that could just make little bubbles in a swamp i love that approach like biomes of like of like universe like yeah like, mm-hmm. i really get that so you had never I mean, read man thing before Mm-mm. That's really cool, and you liked it, and like this, like made him for you. Yeah, and yeah, because um, the first issue, I really liked how he included that little like uh, origin type of thing, because it really helped give me an idea of his story. Because mm-hmm. other than that, I had no clue what the fuck he was about, really. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Steve Orlando did a really good job of revamping this character. I mean, Marvel's been doing that a lot lately, giving these writers we don't really know or don't really know from Marvel at least, giving them a character and then them revamping that character and then us loving that character now and be like oh this is one of our favorite characters now we love it we love all of them so I think Man-Thing is maybe becoming one of them I mean we might see him more after this we might not don't really know we don't know all of Marvel's plans but if we do I would like to see Steve Orlando write it because I mean he already did a great job I I absolutely like I knew Man-Thing before this I had read some of the old school Man-Thing and I mean it it was a decent character it was a decent comic book and everything but you know not something that would really catch my attention but reading this event this crossover event i've had so much fun and and really gotten so much more out of these comic books than i did previous comic books so i am very happy this happened 
and I can't wait to like read the entire run because oh, it's so good. Yeah. Speaking of things that I love happening, I know it's only one page, and that's all we really needed. Um, but of the Quiet Council, I love every pages we get of the Quiet Council <laughs> because those are so those are so magical moments. Not really what writer writes it, but some writers really get them down, and I feel like this is a moment where we're just like, you know what? Let's just leave the humans to die. Who gives a shit? And then they're like, no, but we have to save the humans. <laughs> And then also this like, well, we live on the earth too. And if we don't have the humans, we don't have the bees. Like Storm says, then like, we're all going to die too. So stop being stupid. We have to save everything. So yeah, one, she's right. You guys have been looking at the bigger picture of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me about the positioning of this miniseries is specifically that it went to the Avengers who are now hopping over to Heroes Reborn straight from the Phoenix arc, which did see things like Man-Thing return to the pages and Ghost Rider and all of these major characters were so focused in this major period in Avengers. And now we've jumped over to the X-Men who are about to have the Hellfire Gala and there's a lot of expectation about whether or not it's possible that this is going to be something that perhaps puts the X-Men on the outs with the Marvel Universe. How do you guys feel as a team about Man-Thing being positioned as sort of like a thread that you might be able to follow into this return to multiversity through multi-line exploration. I love it. Honestly, I love it. Mostly because you, so many people just think of Man Thing as being uh, the competitors. You know, oh, everybody knows Swamp Thing. Oh, okay, so Man Thing must be like Swamp Thing, and nobody really thinks about it too much more. Whereas what they seem to forget is Man Thing is technically a, a god of a swamp. He's been cursed by his own freaking doing, and boy does he get whiny about that shit. Um, but he now has to. To as both penance and for protection, guard a, a spot that is weak in the multiverse. Basically, it's it's thin enough that it has doorways back and forth in between. So of course you need somebody there to guard that spot, like you would any other spot. I mean, uh, Saturnine guards her crystal tower and you know rules over the multiverses from that area. Uh, Jamie Braddock has a lot of power and can affect the different multiverses. Doctor Strange he goes through the multiverses, so everybody needs to do their part, as it were, and he's part of that. So it's great because now you see that no no matter where you go in this universe you still have ties to other potential universes and the world is not as small or simple or or uh, easily captivated in one small sphere and it's just showing you no no no. see like yeah dr strange can go anywhere you got saturnine that goes anywhere you've got all these different weak spots all over the universe and slowly i think that's going to take us into space which is going to be so Piggyback off that, I feel like, I mean, I agree with everything you said, and I feel like this gets gets a moment to introduce new characters to new situations. Because like a lot of you, like people like Robbie, they didn't know anything like for Man-Thing. And like, they were like, oh, he's just an alligator that swims in a swamp. So it's, you know, you didn't, (laughs) didn't, they didn't know that Man-Thing, you know, guarded some of the multiverse and the nexus and all of that. And now Mm -hmm. that we have this vote, like this point of direction, it's like showing people this in the new light in a new generation and it's like well now we got the harrower and you know she can become something with the um with the veggie grandmas and like 
right, you know, horticulture, and like we could even get more um, people like that. And like you said, with Doctor Strange and Saturnine, what if Man Thing's at that table now too? And then they go to space, mm-hmm. and now we get somebody else that's at that multiverse table. And then what if we have a multiverse event, and they're all there, and all this is because these little strings are being pulled right now, so all this can go into motion. Like that's what Marvel loves to do is pull these little strings, especially if it's dealing with the X Men and all these other big characters like Avengers. They're they're doing this for a reason to go somewhere. I hope so. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't land in the right spot but I'm hoping that it's gonna land in this spot because it could be really fantastic multiverse shit is so good I mean look at the Secret Wars event that happened in Hickman 2015 that's a, that's still one of my favorite all time events because it was done so well it had so many vocal points that gave birth to so many other things this is what that could do well and I mean also uh, going back to X of Swords I mean we they gave us this beautiful little taste of all the different realms I'm just like Need more, thank you. Give, give more, give more, give more. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this is opening it up for some, maybe some cool multiverse event type stuff. I'm just hoping, please, just a little bit. Before... I just need to see Cap in a couple of different outfits, most of them without pants. But <laughs> what I really love about all these threads of connections between the different groups of characters is that it feels the way it's written and set up. It feels very like natural, and it doesn't feel like something that was pulled out of their ass just for the sake of oh here's a random connection like it feels natural to the storyline and what i really do like about this little um three issue like mini uh, series is that connecting so many characters and say certain events sometimes they just feel like characters randomly appear there out of convenience to sell the story but this never gave me that feeling where it feels like these characters were meant to appear for the sake of growing man things story mm-hmm. not for some coin <laughs> <laughs> definitely and i feel like they did that even more towards the end of this chapter seven is when you know the whole conversation with the doctor and magic mm-hmm. and they're revamping basically you know man thing story saying he had a you know a deal with Velasco. Um, so I like this little revamp of him telling his story to Magic, or Magic kind of telling it back to him. And it, it really shows how well I feel like Ileana Spruton has grown, because she's like, you know, I'm going to give you a choice to fix this, you know? It has to be your choice, but I'm not just going to leave you to the dogs or just doom your soul. You can fix this, so I'm going to help you, because you got a wrong deal. I mean, it was your choice, you did it, but like, kind of got led to the slaughter, so I'm going to help. <laughs> but I love how she still she still speaks as as the ruler of limbo she still speaks like like a devil um she's like oh yeah you got a raw deal i guess we could renegotiate i mean (laughs) she she rakes him over the coals like she makes him admit to himself that he fucked up that he was the one that made the raw deal that he was the one who went the quick and easy route instead of you know sticking with it all because oh you didn't want to let your wife down oh all because you just couldn't stick with it oh you were so worried about you know impressing these big head honchos <laughs> and like damn girl could you sh- throw just a little less shade or give the man a mint julep to sit in it because <laughs> fuck like seriously like oh man she was she was so good at that and i also like the fact that she says look i'm almost old enough to rent a car now i'm like Meaning she's like, 
2324-ish. Oh my god, that but did everybody find it really hot when she was like, oh, where's my sword? And like, I thought there was something, because like, I feel like magic from the 80s would have been like, I'm burning you to death now! Right? Like, <laughs> she would have gone like full on Peridot, and she would have been like, I'm gonna hurt you, you Claude! But like, <laughs> instead, she was just like, where's my sword at? <laughs> and the dog pound wasn't there to tell her, so... <laughs> She's but I love the fact that she had zero fear of getting sucked into um, Man Thing's dreadscape. She's like, okay, game, I'll play. I'm like, that, that's wow. the Ileana that I love. Right that she really does not fear shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially not now. I mean, she could just be reborn. So she didn't really fear anything before, but now why should she at all? Right. So. But that brings us to chapter eight, which is adapt or die. So even though the X-Men can't die, but let's see who else. A lot of other people can die. So we have to save the humans, uh, which gives us, you know, storms coming to save the day with Thor and like block the sun and do all this other shit. And the doctor's like, I should help. And here comes the Dark Riders, the, the not B team. Like no, they're specific. Get... No, they're specifically the most one of the more violent sets of teams that mm-hmm. Ilya herself has assembled. Yeah, and she like... knows that they're the kind that can just absolutely thrash an entire city block. So she's basically, going, I need somebody I can just kind of let off the chain to do their thing. Rod just uncovered a secret that I've never thought about before, and now language is ruined for me. So, well, because I mean, you have you have forearm, you have uh, Max Mammoth, uh, Shark Girl, Marrow, and Wolf Cub. I'm like, oh. Okay, this is just, this is hack and slash. I love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and to the listeners who don't, I mean, we all know who Shark Girl Mero is. We just saw, if you haven't seen him before, we just saw Forearm and Sword. Um, mm-hmm. But the last time we saw Mammoth and Wolf Cub, I mean, we didn't know they were reborn yet. Because, you mm-hmm. know, Wolf Cub died in Young X-Men. Oh! And then Max, yeah, I know, I know. That's <laughs> when the last time we saw him because he was dead, but now he's reborn. That was and a million years ago, damn. It was. And then Memo Max died, was, his death was confirmed in New X-Men. He's killed by Predator X. That so, really monstrous thing. Couple of things about that because I love everything you just said because you're so smart. Uh, <laughs> number one, Achilles. So, Young X Men is like the X book that no one remembers because it was sort of like really self-contained. It gave us Gray Malkin, which I guess I always needed an underground mole vampire gay mutant. I mean, you know. Are they going to throw a rave? Because at that point, I mean, I'm just saying. Oh my god, I would love it if he had like some sort of light up grill and like threw a rave. Like that would be so. Anyway, oh so um, <laughs> Young X-Men, sort of the teen book that everybody forgets. I Thank you for reminding me that Mammomax had an appearance after the Chuck Austin run. I only remembered his appearance in the Chuck Austin Brotherhood arc. I had completely forgotten that he ultimately did perish at the hands of Predator X. What a great call. And yeah, I think the thing that had me the most pleased about this team, no one's normal looking. Yes. Yeah. And yes. that's something we have all been begging for, especially Robbie in the age of... That was one of the first things one of your first episodes one of the first things i ever edited was you being like i just wish mutants look like mutants again and i was like <laughs> let mutants look like mutants yes and so like i completely i was really thrilled by that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I love the I fact just... that nobody was fancy and cute and brightly mm-hmm. colored it's like oh goody we get to go out and just nah, make things die 
Exactly. And I mean, people love Mero, as we saw with the X-Men election and everything. People want her in a team. So I'm like, why don't we have the Dark Riders as a book? At least, like, you know, we can have Hellions, we have Marauders and all that. Why can't we have the Dark Riders? At least for like a mini or something. It doesn't have to be ongoing. A backup it story was Hellions. Cool. There we go. Like, DC's doing backup stories in main books. Why can't Marvel? Uh, and backup. Not everything needs to be twenty-two fucking pages. Some things are just no. better at eight. Sorry about yeah. it. I have friends that I would rather only see for eight minutes a day. If you know what I mean. <laughs> so some stories are better at eight fucking pages. I mean, you're absolutely right. We didn't see this team that long in this book, and it was the perfect amount, honestly. Honestly, we we have covered stories that were eight pages long that were phenomenally done mm-hmm. in in uh, Women of Marvel, in Indigenous Voices. Um, a couple others that we've reviewed. There have been slightly longer stories that were roughly six to eight pages, and they were phenomenally well done. It just depends on who you have writing it and who's putting your, your story together. It's the Hemingway joke. What's the shortest sad story in the world? It's only six words long. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. Yeah, true enough. I do love that one splash page when they're all like with Man Thing and they're all just yeah. like, ah. like, I feel like everyone gets a good, and they're not in this book a lot, but they all get a good like artistic spotlight in this book. You know, all the you dark writers. I love that. You want in, lady? There's a toll to play. In blood! <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was honestly so good. I loved it. It's nice to see Shark Girl doing something because we always just see her in the background. She's not really She's just kind of like says like a a nice like compliment or a snarky compliment or she's comment always getting and... sidelined for lava boy. <laughs> oh, I... Hey, fuck me! Uh, I never saw that movie. I did see the other movie that was based on that though, the second one, um, with the other little heroes. <laughs> I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And honestly, like, I haven't really... I don't know much about Shark Girl, because she is usually kind of just background character. But in this, we all got to hear them talk with all their, like, oh, God, reminiscence of, like, 1990s banter. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it, though. I just absolutely loved it. Oh, I'm an elephant, not a slob. I don't empty my stomach <laughs> for just anyone. I'm like, oh, why? <laughs> I love oh. Memo Max. I want more of him. He, he, I really enjoyed Memo Max in this whole issue. I was like, I want more of this mutant. He's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I wanted more of all of them, honestly. But yeah, like, they, they fit so well in the roles that they were given. Like, I just wanted more of them. Just more, 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 yeah. please. More, more, more. You know, I, mean, I do Mara wonder if... Oh, go ahead, I do wonder if um, Shark Girl and Hellion are still dating or not. I... I hoped, but it doesn't seem like I was I actually because oh. when you guys said you wanted more of them, I went to the website that has all of their appearances, <laughs> like all of the characters' appearances, and I'm sending you guys the list of all of the appearances. But it doesn't look like she's appeared in much with him in several years, unfortunately. Mm. God damn it! <laughs> well, maybe she's looking for a new one guest. day. Robbie, I'm gonna I want to ask you in these Dark Riders, which one really stood out to you? Which one was like your favorite out of the five? I guess six. Okay, magic. Oh, we, we all we um, all want her, so. I'll probably, uh, in this issue particular, because I always did, like, Shark Girl a lot and, like, the minor little appearances that she made. But I will say Mero stuck out because it's not every day you get a Mero appearance. 
And, and you know, I'll never forget my first introduction to Mero. Back when I was a kid, I was playing X-Men Legends, and that was the first time I've ever seen Mero before. And so, like, um, uh, you know, ever since then, I've always wondered why she hasn't appeared in more. Because, like, as a kid, she hit, like, you know, she was kind of, like, one of the first, like, she was kind of my first lens into the Morlocks that I ever really had. So, okay, tying this back to this story, though. <laughs> 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 Didn't mean to get that off tangent, but, um... I really liked, you know, getting, like, more than, like, a page with her. Like, it felt nice seeing, like different moments with Mero. And I really do hope that this shows that, you know, the current writers have more plans going forward with her. Mm-hmm. You know, the other characters would be nice too, I guess. But Mero would be really nice. <laughs> it's the personality that, that Mero puts across. Visually, she's, you know, she looks more or less normal. Yeah, she's got the bone protrusions. But her attitude is so caustic at points. And I think so, it makes the bones worse. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like it, it, the way she comes at things, it kind of amplifies some of the, the dissettling parts of her. <laughs> but at the same point in time, when she is genuinely nice, and there are those, there are those narrow moments that she is genuinely nice, you're like, oh, you still got all those bones, but oh, okay. Whereas Glob just looks like somebody forgot to finish baking the muffins. Right, just put on that outside coat. Yeah. Like, He's put the frosting on the cupcake. He's yeah. a gooey I mean, cuteness. Yeah. I mean, as soon as they made him not hateful anymore, he was a very enjoyable character. Mm-hmm. Ryan at Xavier's remains my all-time favorite comic book <laughs> ever, and it will never change. It's the most perfect five issues of anything ever. So every character in it will forever be one of my favorites ever, no matter what Quentin Quire is my favorite. <laughs> He's a fun character. I He's liked a fuck him. boy, but I love him. <laughs> He's a fuck boy. He's a fuck boy who's a virgin. Um, right. He's a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> He probably can. Back to the very Bad thing adrenaline. taking care of Harriet. I know, like Harriet's getting her ass kicked. So oh, yeah. <laughs> she gets absorbed into Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing's like, get in my body. And it's a little, um, he d- he doesn't ask consent. But, you know, she did kill him. So he kind of, she kind of has it coming. Uh, so she, she gets into his dreamy hellscape mindscape. And we see zombie versions of her family, which is super fucking creepy. I think this is the creepiest moment, probably in the whole like three issues for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's what her ass gets for causing that little invasion around the planet. That is full on karma. She should have got worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people did die because of her. So yeah. Yes. I'm a big fan of like, it's never okay to be like a bad dude. But, like, if you're, like, running around destroying the world and somebody breaks your foot to stop you, you know, she's trying to mess with the nexus of realities. If someone's got to show her some zombie parents, I mean, (laughs) it's just kind of what it is. Well, it's not that he even has to show her zombie parents. He is showing her the thing she fears. That's why he is the ruler of the Dreadscape. You have fear, he knows it. And he's going to put you through hell, quite literally. And I love that name for it, the Dreadscape. I'm just like, ooh, scary. Oh, I loved it. Scare me, big man. Like, I'm just like, (laughs) I just love Dreadscape. Here's your dead father who took you into the woods because you didn't want to be a part of society and now you're mad because he got caught in a wildfire and died and 
your dumb ass didn't somehow. Well, she set the fire, so of course she didn't die. Yeah. Uh, right? <laughs> but that... But, and like, added get, everybody. Let me burn down my own house with my parent <laughs> in it. Oh, dumbass. We, we get to that point by going into the chapter 9 called New Growth. She is... We're showing, I guess... You know, not her new growth, um, because she doesn't learn anything. We might, oh, no. She might learn something later when she gets written again. But right now, no, no <laughs> she she is, she is she is pinnacle, fragile white woman in that she refuses to learn anything, no matter who is speaking to her. Mm. I'm the Kareniner. I'm here to Karen you, <laughs> Karen Chop. No. One of my Where's favorite, my latte? One of my favorite pages of this is right after the beginning of chapter nine. <laughs> it has so many good things on this page because it's Storm and Thor working together, which I love. Mm-hmm. My two favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm very biased. I love them together. Yes, please. Uh, um, he can leave She-Hulk and go with Stormfront. Um, I'm just saying. I know. Saying, I mean, saying. you know what? She deserves... Anyway, I'm not even going to get that. Hey, so, she deserves better than T'Challa. <laughs> and guess what's better than T'Challa? Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, unfortunately, he's presented as white. But it's okay. It's fine. He's not really white. Let let the swirl happen, damn you. <laughs> I'm a swirl. Good things happen from swirls. But speaking of Wakanda, then the um, Dora Milaje is there as well. And I'm like, yay, Dora Milaje, looking fabulous. But then we get this, I don't I don't know, I want to know how y'all feel about this. I, I ship them now with Ileana <laughs> and Robbie Reyes. <laughs> I love, I love how other. inappropriate she was with this. She's like, you have oh, to keep your fire keep on. Like, on. I'm like, I love it. I want this. <laughs> so, okay. I I'm I'm so like if Marvel gave me any one character, I just want it to be Robbie Reyes. That I like he is my dream to write so badly. And you know, Carrie Harris has this amazing upcoming Johnny Blaze novel. And so it's just great to see that the Ghost Rider IP is so powerfully alive at Marvel. And to see him here made me I, I've got my uh, I've got my Robbie Reyes cosplay ready for when cons resume later this year. And I'm so excited about it. And I like the idea of Robbie of Robbie Reyes being with any woman who's likely to peg him. So Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we get more of uh Harriet, the white woman who needs validation. Um, and her so dream hellscape. <laughs> and her demon zombie dad is like, nah, you are like reliving the torture that you did to all of us, and now you're gonna burn into like the dimension of wherever she goes. She goes somewhere. We don't know where she goes, but she falls. She's gone until the end of the book and we see her, but you know. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no. She was, she was dread, like, remember the dreadscape is you, whatever your worst nightmare is, she's in the dreadscape the entire time that she is having that meltdown and mm-hmm. talking with um, the grandmothers from horticulture and everything like that. And, yeah, he's, he's finding a way to basically set her ass on fire. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, yay, good, burn the witch. Um, <laughs> she's not really even a witch, though. She's like... Uh, no, she's uh, she mixed Amateur science. magician. <laughs> yeah, she's, she mixed science and magic together, much in the same way that that man thing mixed science and magic together yeah exactly but yeah she 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 all on fire and even though she's in a freaking swamp 
And if anything had ever, if anybody had ever told her to stop, drop, and roll, well, she absolutely forgot that part of it as she's standing in ankle deep water and not able to put out the fire with the water all around her. Instead, she's screaming at her stupid ferns. But that even kind of speaks to the heart of the character's folly inherently. She was always looking for things she didn't need, but rather things she perceived would make her life better. So rather Mm -hmm. than extinguish the flame burning her, she's more eager to blame someone else than deal Mm -hmm. with what's actually causing her suffering. I mean, it really goes back to the heart of what we were saying at the beginning of the issue, where she is like, you know, this sort of deceptive folly personified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it literally is. Because yeah, she's screaming at the ferns to put her out, and like literally everybody's just kind of looking at her like, uh... Why don't you do it for yourself? Like just, just burn, bitch. Just burn. Right. It's like, go ahead, just burn. We're, we're gonna wait here, see if you figure this one out. I still love Shark Girl's parting comment on all that. It's, I know. I think we've got up here soldier soup. I've got some on me. I, I got a lot on me. <laughs> I I want them together again. I want this team back together. I I mean, I feel like we're all biased because mutants and shit. So we love mutants. But I want it. I want them back together. I hope we do. I hope Marvel is like, oh, this is a gym. We should do it again. Yeah. I I honestly think that uh, they deserve more appearances. And maybe as time goes on, they will prove well enough rounded out to have their own book. But at the very least, I would love to see them in more appearances. I do love at the end of that page that T'Challa is basically just like, and this is a common theme with spider people, especially the spider men. Um, is just like, I wish y'all would just shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like, I hope, but and he says it in such a, like a classy way as T'Challa does, a dramatic classy ass way. He's like, and glory to Bass that these charms are closing faster than your mouths. <laughs> like, I just, I love that. It's a little burn to the spider men because they don't shut up. Neither one of them. Peter or Miles. <laughs> Or or Gwenpool or or oh any God, of them. Right. They just even Jessica Drew just doesn't shut up. I love Jessica Drew, but she don't shut up either. I think if you just get the spider thing, it's like part of your mouth can't stop. 